0: Hey y'all, pretend we're football for the next hour. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Johnny Brashear and Timothy Preston, as always. You are listening to the beautiful sounds of the Budos band bringing us in. Always go ahead and give them a listen and check them out. Today, we're going to be talking about none other than Chris Beard. Texas got their man, their only man, the one they've been eyeing for two, three years now. Uh, It's funny, Johnny... We'll go ahead and get right into it. I was accident I accidentally listened to like a push play on the wrong podcasts and listened to our show from about I think it was last year in February. And the first thing I said was, "So when is Chris Beer going to be our coach?" Just to annoy you, I, and I, and I was I'm sure annoyed. You were, you were. It was fun. Because it was the question that every Texas fan was asking was, all right, we're done with the of smartest experiment. When is Chris Beard coming here? Because everybody knew Chris Beard is a Texas alum. He had Texas's number in Frank Irwin, which is funny because he won't be playing in Frank Irwin anymore. He'll be playing in the Moody Center. So does that go out the door? Maybe he would have been a monster if he stayed at Frank Irwin. He's, he's got
1: one year of Frank Irwin.
0: We'll see. We'll see. But he had Texas's number. While he was at Texas Tech, everybody again, everybody knew he was an alum. And, yeah, they just tired of Shaka Smart, and they wanted something quote-unquote different. I know that just triggered you, Johnny. So These, these microaggressions will not stand. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get right into who Chris Beard is. And more so on the court. We can talk about him off the court. After this, but I want to know what a Chris Beard team is going to look like, and that's what a lot of Texas fans want to know as well. Uh, looking at it more close up, because Texas fans know what it's like to go up against him, right? It's usually a loss
2: unless you're in the Big Twelve tournament. But I, I want to know. I think that Shaka was six and seven against Beard. Was he? I'm pre- oh, you're right. I'm because pretty sure, <laughs> I'm not telling. Right, you're right. So, anyways, I mean, not that not, not that there aren't valid criticisms of records and things, and but I mean, it, it's not like it was super. Right. One I side. always
0: forget that it would Shaka would win one, and then Chris Beard would win one usually.
2: Anyways, but
0: so. it was never at home, so that that's what's clouding my judgment here. What would it look like? I want to know what does a Chris Beard defense look like because that's what he is known for, very in much in Rick Barnes fashion. And Shaka smart fashion, Texas hired a defense-first coach, a coach that is known for his defense above all else. (laughs) So, what will this defense look like? What are we going to be watching on the floor here? When we were expecting Shaka, we were expecting Havoc, but he came into another level and that didn't happen because Havoc doesn't work at this level. Chris Beard has already been at this level. We know what his offense looks like. We've had tape of it. We've watched it. What does it look like?
2: So you're going to hear a lot, and maybe people already have um, so far in in the past week or so, about taking away the middle. And that's really the, the key element and component of what Tech's defense has been about over the last, I think over his entire tenure at Tech, but for sure over the last few years since the Elite Eight run. And... What that means is that Tech will tech will do whatever they can to force offenses to initiate their action away from the center of the lane. So they want people to, um, to be engaged with sidelines because maybe you've heard that coaches talk about it or commentators talk about how like the sideline or the baseline is like another defender because you just can't go that way. Uh, They want to, you know, they want to, they want to pressure people into tougher shots kind of away from the basket. And so um, they collapse very heavily on ball handlers. They obviously do a really good job of creating offensive charge calls (laughs) for their opponents. Uh, Some people might call it charge hunting, but it is what it is. Um, I not sure that that's that wasn't meant to be a microaggression. That was just simply an aggression. I'll just kind of put it out there. I, I will call it charge hunting, I suppose. But you're going to see if if the defense travels with him, the defensive system, which I, we have all reasons to believe that they will or that it will, you're going to see a defense that that will collapse a lot whenever the ball kind of gets around the lane. You're going to see a defense that's going to put offensive ball handlers in t- tough situations either against people kind of reaching in or against people kind of putting themselves physically in a place where, you know, a charge block call is going to happen. That's kind of the, the big idea, whereas Texas was kind of more likely to to try to play a little bit more straight up as far as like trusting their athletes and their defenders, um, even even a guy like Sims like in space. Tech is is more likely to try to condense the floor by by creating a number of defenders in a small area, and if you know if if an offense wants to find wants to find stuff in the short corner or wants to try to kind of create going around the defense in the middle of the lane, then so be it. But that that tends to kind of be in a simplistic way what they're thinking about. Johnny, would you would you critique that anywhere?
1: I I, I don't know I don't know what I don't want to, I don't want to talk about this.
2: Um, ah! Thank you, thank you, thank you. So i got
1: charged up thank you for that um yeah there there are no middle defense that is that is beard's trick beard and adams that is their that is their thing i mean it's not trick exactly it's it's a defense and, tech
2: assistant coach mark adams who may or may not be following beard and and is for sure a candidate at tech for their now open head coach position so
1: yep that is correct. So the potential defensive architect of Texas Tech's no middle defense might remain in Lubbock, which is awesome. It's gonna be a yeah. It's gonna be a no middle defense every once in a while. He'll throw out a zone just as as a change of pace, or if someone's really lighting him up, they may try that to kind of you know limit paint touches if if uh, a team has figured out the no middle. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much no middle. It is forced. Force people to baseline. Uh, try to take charges. Hope they don't stop three feet outside of the paint and take a floater because that is completely unguardable in the no middle defense, and which is how Houston throttled them earlier this year. Um, so it's it's a it's a very effective defense most
2: of the time. Um, we'll see. And how Sims, you know, kind of took them over. Yeah. In the tournament too. So.
1: Yep. A- absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's not a perfect defense. I mean, there, there is no perfect defense. So um, yeah, it's Tim, Tim hit it. It's a no middle defense and that is what uh, beard will probably ride or die with.
0: So what exactly are you looking for? That's most important in a no middle defense from your players. What type of actions are you looking for and what makes a no middle defense succeed? Uh,
1: guys who are willing to run halfway across the court and fall on the floor on their ass. <laughs> it's charge hunting is a fair term because it is a primary feature of a no middle defense as aggressive as Beard's is. Um, all of the no middle ones to some extent or another will send a help defender to try and block off. Uh, if, if their guy gets beat on the baseline, they will send someone to try and block off uh, the the basket uh, path of path to the basket. Um, tech is generally better than most at getting there early enough that it is a charge and not a block but it is you, you're gonna see a lot of charges under under beard that's just but or excuse me you're gonna see a lot of blocks or charges <laughs> under beard uh hopefully for texas uh, sanity they get more charges than blocks because otherwise guys are gonna foul out pretty quickly but that's that's what you expect to see. It's not like it's not conceptually a, a terribly complex defense, um, which is part of why it's something that can be executed very well is because there's not that much to it. You overplay the middle to to make sure to, your, to the best you can make sure that the guard takes one of the outer thirds of the court to get either try to get baseline or whatever. And then from there, you, you aggressively help. And sometimes it means trapping, and sometimes it means trying to get your hand on the ball from the, from the back or or whatever. Like there's just, there's sort of wrinkles, but that's that's it. I mean that's that's the thing. I'm not knocking it by talking about its simplicity. Sometimes the most effective things are the simplest ones because then you're not really thinking about how to execute. You're just reacting. But that's that is their thing. And if Beard stays true to form when he comes to Texas, that is what you're going to see a lot of until such time as the no middle defense is effectively counteracted by by other teams.
0: So, what makes it so effective though? Why why has it been so good for Chris Beard? Uh, even this year Texas Tech wasn't a great team. They went 18 and 11. But they were still a top 20 defense in the nation. How did that happen? What is it about this defense that makes it again so effective? I think the way I I would look at this is that
1: it is so if you start from grade school through the NBA, there is sort of a spectrum of what is easier to execute, defense or offense. And the lower you get, the easier it is to be a good defensive team because the offensive sucks. Offenses suck. Right? Like in grade school, you can throw a two-three zone at a team, and they might score two points the whole game because what are they going to do about it, right? Like a, a, a ten-year-old's not going to not going to rain threes on you um stealing my points johnny stealing my points sorry i thought that's where we were going with this i it's yeah we are yeah that's, go ahead yeah i thought that's i thought you're leading me to your point um i am and and as as you get older as teams get older as you progress through high school and college and you know, g league and the pros it gets the the offenses get better and better so the defenses get harder and harder it's, it's harder and harder for them to be wildly effective in college it still caters to the defense somewhat between the width of the lane between the, you know, up and down nature of three point shooters in most college programs. Like you're, you're sort of, you're the house in Vegas, I guess you, you kind of have this little bit of a built in advantage if you're a defensive minded team. So, being successful as a defense first team is not a bad play in terms of raising the floor of your team as uh, within a season so the no middle works in part because while it can while it theoretically gives up open threes somebody's got to make that three and there are a lot of teams out there who may have one really good three-point shooter they might have two but they don't have three or four like it's you know, not not common to have a lot of people who can hit a perimeter shot, even in college. So then Which you- is
0: probably why Beard has not done as well against teams like Baylor and Kansas and
2: Houston and teams that have multiple good shooters. Yeah. Well, I mean, in conference this year, teams shot thirty eight and a half percent against tech. So in the Big Twelve conference from deep, they shot thirty eight and a half percent from you know in, in Big Twelve games. So that's terrible. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, that's objectively really bad, you know? So like of all the good defensive things you can say about them and, and all like the thing, the thing about the no middle and it's going to kind of seem weird is that like it really sort of functions as a zone defense inside of a man defense, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> I'm sorry. But what you're trying to do with any, with any zone defense is you're trying to eliminate some of the, the recovery and, um, you know, the marking principles that can get you in trouble in a man defense. And so zone defense allows you to kind of like, okay, we don't worry about like the, the, you know, any of the shenanigans. You have this space and this responsibility. You have this space and this responsibility. And you kind of go from there. And what the no middle kind of ends up being is saying, <laughs> Okay, the the shenanigans are whatever happens kind of in the center. And we're going to zone, essentially we're going to zone the middle of the floor by saying anytime the ball gets in there, we collapse. And whether it's people trying to kind of slap at the ball or whether it's people saying like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to put myself physically in the way of the, of the ball handler or whether it's, you know, whatever it might be, they're going to try to take that away. Um, you know, and Beard, like a lot of college coaches, is like, all right, well, we're going to play the game where we assume... That the amounts of time that we can get our hand, you know, deflections or the hand on the basketball um, as a defense, it, plus the amount of charges that the offensive team is going to get called against them, um, that that's going to outweigh how well teams might shoot from deep. Because if you collapse like that, there's going to be open perimeter shots. And this year, Tech was pretty bad. <laughs> you know, they, it, whether that was unlucky and they just happened to kind of run into teams that could shoot better, or whatever it might be um you know it was there and and I think that that's while I'm not trying to to overtake any conversations here I do think that there is it's an important factor for like any Texas fan to understand like whatever coach you're talking about this ain't no silver bullet like and, and like it just the reality when you're talking about college players when you're talking about guys that are you know, maybe maybe half of a team is going to go pro in some capacity, wherever it might be, or not. It's not as if like, oh, if only we had that defense, then we'd be infallible. Well, clearly not. So, you know, I, I would caution anyone to to look at that and say like, well, what a great defense. Yeah, it it certainly has its strengths. And I guess, you know, if, if I had to say, hey, take, you know, the, what Beard's defense does well is, again, they, they put... Young, relatively inexperienced people, like college athletes, in tough situations where they have to where they have to execute against a number of, of lengthy, talented, um, athletic people, and you know maybe maybe especially I think tech, you take I mean, we'll talk about this later I'm sure but you take a look at some of their non-conference stuff and it's it's not it's not uh, it's not un, unthoughtful to say that they you know a lot of their numbers over the years have been have been helpfully skewed playing a bunch of teams rated two ninety or lower. But um, put guys in those situations and you say, hey, good luck executing. We think you're going to execute less than half the time or whatever. And a lot of times that's correct.
1: And there's one caveat here. And I, I, I agree with everything Tim has said. There is some talk, and it, and it may not be for a couple of years, but there is some talk about the NCAA widening the lane to match the NBA lane. And the reason I bring this up, because I, I know that they're already starting to talk to the refs about the possibility of it. I it's there's no commitments anywhere, it's nothing like that. But if they widen the lane, that means it is that much farther that the help defender has to come from to try and set that charge that they're that they're trying to get when they do the no-middle defense. Like the help defender is trying to come across the lane and and set their position while some NCAA level guard is trying to make it to the basket. And if they widen that lane to the NBA level, it's going to be, it's not impossible, but it's going to be significantly harder for the charge taking aspect of a no middle defense to be effective. So it's not a thing now, but I'm putting it on people's radar that like, it might be a couple years from now where the no middle defense suddenly becomes much less effective than it is because this primary
0: feature of it is much less feasible than it was. So let's look at the other side of the basketball here. And Chris Beard, definitely not known for his offense, but he does have a favorite offense, the motion offense. What does that look like? What type of players do you need for this type of offense to succeed? And again, tell me what am I going to be seeing? Mainly what I'm asking is what are we going to be seeing on the court? So there's, uh, there's, there's
1: two angles to this. One is... I don't think Beard really runs a motion offense anymore. I think when he first started his first year or two, maybe he was running more of a sort of traditional Bob Knight motion offense. He doesn't really do that anymore. Um, it, and it's in some ways sort of a shame because I don't know what the fuck he replaced it with. Because, like, I, I, what they do now is not terribly coherent in my view. It's not... It's not an optimized offense in in, in my view. I, and I don't, it feels like it is four guys running around the court while another guy ISOs kind of thing. Like it, it seems like it is a very ISO dependent offense. And if you have a guy like Jarrett Culver or a guy like uh, Matt McClung, it can potentially work. But I, I, I don't know, Tim, how would you describe their offense? Because to me, it's like, it's just, I don't get it. I I don't get their offense.
2: Yeah, with at the at the risk of of being overly negative, that again, that's falling into some weird patterns here. But a couple of things to to give a larger context. Just about every single college basketball program in the country, certainly almost every big college basketball program, relies pretty heavily on ball screens. Not everybody, but it's, it's super common that you see ball screens, you know, and obviously that's something that, that Rick was, you know, was, was relying on way back in the day. Um, Even in some respects, Pender's when you would think about like his dribble handoff stuff like that in other ways, kind of, you know, even in the nineties was a lot of ball screen action. Tech is no different. Like they, they, they would do a lot of it. Now, what you see as far as wrinkles from offensive systems is that what you do away from it and you know there there are three. I mean, there's a lot, but there there are three main kind of things that you think about it. Um, you, we have what we call like a, a like a flex offense. Now, flex offense um, kind of focuses on what we call like what we call ball screen, down screen. Um, that's a very common principle in, in the flex offense, where like it it kind of sets um, some pretty specific parameters for what your screens should look like. Um, in a flex offense like okay we, we're gonna we're gonna set a screen here and then we're gonna screen away here um then you have what you call like a read and react so read and react is obviously a little bit more nuanced and depending on where the defender is or depending on you know where the ball has gone to or depending on what you think you, the ball handler is going to do or whatever it might be will dictate how everyone offensively moves on the court yeah i haven't um, seen
1: any of that from them
2: no, 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 he does not run a read and react. <laughs> uh, the, he is far too type A to run a read and react. Um, so what a motion principle is, is is basically like um, it's pass and screen, right? So if you think about like, okay, what do we think about a of motion offense? Motion offenses uh, tend to be about as little ball uh, handling as possible, right? Like not, not, not uh, bouncing the crap out of the ball, just pass and then screen away. Um, Now, what kind of screen, flare screen, down screen, whatever it might be, will depend on, you know, what the play is, what you think your action is going to dictate from the defense or whatever. Um, And so what I think, what I think a lot of it started as was, all right, we're going to be, we're going to be ball screen heavy. And then the action away from our ball screen actions is going to be more the motion offense. Man, I don't see it. I don't see it, and and I've you know I I certainly I don't write for Texas Tech websites or whatever, nor do I think they would want anything to do with me. Um, But I do watch a lot of Texas Tech basketball. I've watched a lot of Tech games over the last handful of years, and uh, it, it is not some type of of. Uh, beauty competition. <laughs> it, it, it's not uh, it's not a circumstance where you're gonna look at them and say, wow, those guys play basketball offensively the right way. They play aggressively. They, I, you know, I think they u- utilize pretty good shot selection. I think that that they do a good job of of initiating um, offense at the defender, particularly in the lane. So they've done a better job than we have of um, of getting to the free throw line at least historically over the last few years, they they do a pretty good job of taking care of the basketball. But, you know, whenever you run, whenever you predicate your team's success on defense, like a guy like Beard has, there's not a lot of unicorns in college basketball, right? There's not a lot of guys who are superstar offensive players and superstar defensive players. So when you have a lot of, you know, when you have guys playing big minutes, who tend to be more defensively oriented or defensively capable, that's gonna put a strain on your offense. And I think that obviously tech has, tech has shown a willingness when, you know, under beard or tech did show a willingness under beard to win low scoring games. Uh, and that's kind of what they got. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I don't, you people are welcome to love the the no middle or no middle defense and i think that hopefully you know it's, it's it becomes a staple in a positive way for for texas underneath beard but this is not a this is not a coach that you're going to look at and say wow so freewheeling, wow so much so much freedom so many opportunities and stuff like that that's uh, that's yeah that's not it
1: they they have never been in the top half of d1 in tempo uh, under chris beard and usually they are in the bottom third so there's not there's there's not going to be you're not going to see gonzaga
0: you're, you know um the other thing is and and tim is 100% which is interesting because looking at their offense uh, adjusted offense on ken Palm, they're 32nd in the nation
1: yeah it's i mean it, and that's that is a function of some of the aspects of their offense namely that they were uh very good at offensive rebounding uh they kept the turnovers very low like they they've sort of one thing i guess if you want to give uh chris beard credit for in terms of his offenses is that they have been pretty efficient in different ways like this year they were really good at not turning the ball over they were really good at offensive rebounding the year before they were pretty pretty bad at turnovers, not great at offensive rebounding, but they were much better at the free-throw line. They're much better. They, they hit more three-pointers. They hit more two-pointers. So, like, it's sort of, for different reasons, their metrics kind of evened out. Um, and, and that's, I mean, I guess that's sort of the hope for Texas fans is that he can find different ways, depending on his roster, to find ways to score the basket whether it is you know crashing the offensive re- offensive boards more or you know if he's got a guy who's really good at not turning the ball over he makes sure it's in his hands as much as possible yeah i mean there's there's ways to kind of tweak it and that's if, if he can do that then that's that's good uh, especially for you know a, a team's going to be offensively challenged well, one thing i would add to, to tim's points and um, you know all of them are, are correct is that If you take some time and watch a Texas Tech game, or I'm sure you know, I'm like 99% sure you're going to see this at Texas. If you stop looking at the ball on offense and watch what's happening around the basket, you're going to see about a million illegal screens that never get called. Like that's, it's sort of the pick play in football where like, it just, you know, oh, we just ran a crossing route. Who who could have seen us getting in each other's way? That's amazing. But here you are open for a 70-yard touchdown pass. It's sort of the same thing in in basketball. If the, if the refs aren't going to call it, then they're going to keep doing it. And and Tech does a lot of a lot of illegal screens off the ball, and they don't get called
0: for it much. So I, I would not be surprised to see that happen at Texas as well. To make this team work, as Chris Beard has done, more so than not at Texas Tech, What does the team makeup look like? What are the players we're going to be watching looking like at Texas? Because under Shaka Smart, very athletic players. Very athletic players. Uh, Under Rick Barnes, not as athletic as Shaka Smart, but uh, fundamentally sound would be.
1: It varies by year. Some years with Barnes, it was a whole lot of very raw athletes as well.
0: But under Smart, we knew the type of players we were going to get. It was very much the athlete. You know, you had Jackson Hayes, Jericho Sims. You had Kai Jones, guys like that, right? What are the players we're going to be looking at under Chris Beard like? I think I would be surprised if Texas ends up
1: with any lottery picks under Chris Beard. Like the sort of uber-athletic, raw bigs that Texas has had through Shaka and significant parts of Barnes tenure. I, I, you know, maybe he goes and gets those guys, but it it doesn't seem like his type exactly. I think if he goes and gets that sort of player, he's he's more likely to go after like a you know, Tariq Owens type who's a either a JUCO or a junior guy. Who's like he's not a raw high school guy. It's it it may be of that mold but a couple years older. Um, that's been his MO thus far. Um, I don't see why he would go away from that. Uh, especially given that the transfer rules are about to be relaxed. He, he's going to have more opportunities to go get some guy who, you know, who, who am I thinking of? Uh, James Banks. Like I could see him in, in, in this realm going and getting a guy like James Banks, who at Texas was... Second, third, big off the bench, but you know, over at Georgia or something, and he goes and gets him through the transfer portal, that kind of thing. So maybe he gets those kind of st- very athletic dudes in that way, but I don't, I don't think he's gonna do that as much at, at Texas because it's just not his style. He he wants, you know, it may not be the apex of what he wants, but he would he would probably be super happy to have three or four Matt Moonies roaming around the court. Right, like it's just it's a it's a little different style.
2: It will be interesting to see how his how his decision making as far as recruiting, whom he goes after, what kind of big shots he takes um, on some of the high level guys. I mean he's he's brought in a guy like I never remember how to say his name, J- Jameis J- James Ramsey Ramsey yeah. Yeah, um, I know that wasn't then, the
1: part of the name you had a problem with, but that's the only one I'm going to say. <laughs> uh,
2: or uh, was it Burnett or Namari Burnett or whatever? From this, You're like he's he's brought in some guys. He's got a guy coming. Well, he Tech had a had signed a guy named Jalen Tyson um, from Plano, who who I think probably represents similar to what we think about. You know, he he likes. He likes longer wing players, you know, six five to six seven athletic guys. He does tend to kind of try to recruit guys that can shoot, um, you know, but but also guys that that while they're while they're high level guys, they're also likely to be, um, you know, at least a couple two three year uh, players at a at, at the at the program. And I think that that's certainly when you talk about one guys that can execute a game plan consistently, when you talk about guys that are going to be bought in defensively to what you want to do to the energy and effort and intensity that, that a defense like the no middle defense, like what that takes, like there's not a ton of freshmen that can come in ready to rock and roll and something like that. But from the same token, like we've, I'm not sure that he can come to Texas, recruit the exact same players and say, okay, just simply being in Austin, that's going to be enough. Like he's going to probably have to do more than than what he's done, and that most likely means recruiting some one and done talent at the perimeter, uh, of which there's plenty of that in Texas every year. Like there's always there's always at least a couple of five star perimeter players from Texas high schools, sometimes even more than that. How does that fit into his scheme? How does he How does he make some decisions? Like I always, always go back to Jordan Hamilton as a freshman. He was ranked in the top 10 in the country and a terrific offensive talent. And he played pretty sparingly given his talent level when he was a freshman. Uh, and Rick was just like, hey, homie, you're not going to be able to play defensively like we want. Then you're going to not play a lot. And does Beard kind of fall into those same traps does he kind of fight through it? Does you know, we'll have to see. I, I think there's a lot of things that'll be uh, question marks. But when people And how wanted,
0: does he coach? Because of his coaching style as well, he's sort of a he doesn't give the five-star treatment. He, right. He's a hard ass.
2: When Shaka came from VCU and everyone was so excited about Havoc, I think that that why why it was in hindsight pretty likely that he was going to drop it was the thing that a lot of people that follow recruiting know that you know guys like DeAaron Fox don't want to play havoc cuz they will never ever play that style in the pros like there are no there are no NBA teams that play anything remotely like havoc I mean if you watch an NBA game even uh, in, in the playoffs like they're not going to have full court press they don't do that shit <laughs> that's just not how it works and so high level guys don't want to don't want to be involved in that um they want to play something that's gonna get ready for the NBA and, and Shaka wanted to recruit those kind of levels of guys and so he <laughs> he dropped what he thought made the most sense. So instead of recruiting guys in the 80s to 120s who would play Havoc, he wanted to recruit guys in the 20s to 50s um, that probably wouldn't. Now Beard is gonna probably run into some of those same issues. Now he he comes at it from a different avenue because like we said he's been he's been at a Power 5 school whereas Shaka VCU was not so certainly he's got a much different uh, background and skill set to 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 fall back on, but the answers remain the same. Like he, for all the good players that that he's had, he has not recruited Kevin Durant, he has not recruited T.J. Ford, uh, or D.J. Augustine. So thinking about or, or or Jordan Hamilton, and so how would he adjust to those kind of players? What would he kind of do if he has an opportunity to coach them? How would his system differentiate or change, if at all? Those are question marks that he's going to have to answer, and and as a guy, as we've talked over and over and over, as a guy that just demands things being his way all the time, in the same way that his mentor Bobby Knight did, it, that that's a big old question mark that he's going to have to figure out. Does that style of coaching fit what a guy like, um, anyways, whatever high level guy? I, I could I could name out some some guards that are coming up in the next couple classes, but I'm not sure that the people are that 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 even matters but are they gonna be able to kind of right or or case and wallace you know or um you know again there's there's a number of players but we'll have to kind of we'll just have to see
1: wouldn't it be sort of hilarious if chris beard came to texas and started playing a havoc defense just like recruiting nothing but dudes that are in the top like 120 or so and just a bunch of like three or four year dudes and just just to said fuck it i got a seven-year deal we're gonna make this work in year three like this <laughs> just like we're gonna play full court pressure all the time like it's it's like it's just whatever that i i i would find that amazing um i i don't know if i would love it but it would be hilarious i would get a kick out of it for sure
0: well that does bring us to the next part Well, how much havoc will he play? Yes. Okay. Well, what is Chris Beard like as a personality? Texas fans have not gotten much of an experience of Chris Beard. You know, very close, very close up. What is he like as a personality? You know, we've seen him in a press conference already. What is he like? As you've heard in practice. What are the things Texas fans are going to be hearing about behind the scenes about Chris Beard, good and bad? Yeah, I
1: think it'll be interesting to see what sort of leaks there are from Texas under Beard that there may not have been under Shaka. Because um, getting information out of Shaka Smart's camp, uh, camp and practices was like trying to pull state secrets out of the Kremlin. He, they were very tight they were very closed off like they they there was not much that got out you you had to be related to a player basically to to get information out of them um and I don't maybe it'll be the same you know Texas as an institution seems to like uh, limiting access as a as a rule rather than the exception so maybe that maybe we won't hear much um I, I think that you are probably going to get a lot of press conferences and Longhorn Network specials, just like the first press conference. Like that's, that's sort of who Beard is publicly. He's, he's kind of that guy. Um, and that's not to say he's a drastically different person privately, but that's, I mean, that's kind of who he is. Um, he's a very intense dude and, um, that we'll see if that Really, I couldn't tell when he was flopping on the floor. Yeah, yeah, when he got yeah, he got his money's worth with that ejection, um, and he's, you know, it, it's. I don't know if, and this may be a conversation for another time. I I don't know if we're going to hit a point in the next decade or two where the super intense dudes like Tom Izzo and and Chris Beard. Grow out of fashion for the more CEO types, you know, sort of Fred Hoiberg ish guys or Brad Stevens guys. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. That's it's probably a it's probably a discussion for down the road. But it, i it's, it will be interesting to see one if any of the current players who stay stick with that sort of thing. Uh, because Shaka was not a laid-back guy by any stretch of the imagination. He was very intense in practice, in private. He just didn't really do it publicly. Um, So I don't know how much different it's going to be on a day-to-day basis because you're dealing with high major D1 athletes and coaches, and a lot of those people are just wired that way. So it, it may not functionally be much different for players under Chris Beard as opposed to players under Shaka Smart, at least within the practice itself. Um, Maybe off the court it'll be different because I don't see Chris Beard assigning a lot of books for for players to read. It doesn't really seem like his style, Um, particularly not Malcolm X. I can't really see him giving that to any players. Um, (laughs) So we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't, you know... I. I don't have any sense that he's a bad person or that he's a he's a terrible asshole. I think he's super intense and that will probably rub some people the wrong way and probably contributes to the roster attrition he has and has had at Tech and will probably have at Texas because at a certain point of intensity, some people just don't dig that. And so, you know, that that may be an issue. But I don't, like, it's not, I I, I guess if you're asking sort of, are there any red flags? I, I, I haven't really heard of any, honestly, like, you know, he doesn't, I don't think he's going to choke a player. I don't think he's going to you know, like, he's not going to be hopefully caught with like a trainer in an inappropriate situation. Not that that's ever happened at Texas. Um, but you know, that's, I, I, he'll probably be okay.
2: Yeah. Not a ton to add, not a ton to add. I, I, when he gets in his wheelhouse and he's talking about student athletes and performing in the classroom and doing things the right way he's impressive like he he's an impressive guy and i think he's obviously very passionate and with any coach that has that kind of fire and intensity the question is how successful are you cuz when you're winning or if you're a player that gets a lot of playing time and things are going well then you can kind of handle it if you're a player that thinks you should get more playing time and is not, or if maybe you're a really good offensive player and he's choosing a defensive specialist over you, then that shit might run pretty thin, <laughs> you know? And, and that's true no matter what coach you're talking about, no matter where it is, Uh that's, that's human nature. So I, yeah, how he navigates that, how he figures that out with a different level of athlete. Cause it, it, it sure felt like there was a stretch with Barnes that he was able to to really walk that tightrope of recruiting superstar awesome athletes and also figuring out that buy in with the with the guys who maybe weren't getting huge minutes but would step in and rebound when they needed to, or be willing to, you know, play thirteen minutes and, and you know be shooters off the bench or whatever it was. But then it you know, that, that tightrope walk ended. And when 2011 went away, Barnes never has gotten that back, really hasn't, you know, even at Tennessee, just the last decade for him just hasn't been able to make it work. And and that's because it's tough. And so being fiery, being intense, being in your face is awesome when you're Izzo and that shit works all the time. Will it work? If not. People are gonna go, <laughs> so so don't don't be surprised if that attrition, like Johnny says, is is you know becomes a reality because it just if you don't have to, it, particularly as the NCAA kind of seemingly constantly takes away whatever uh, whatever restrictions as far as portal stuff and transferring is concerned. If that's gonna continue to be the case, then I, I think people's uh, their suffering of, of that type of intensity will be really really short. I just can't imagine people are going to stick around very long for that if they if they don't see their playing time at a high level. Like, I mean, Brock Cunningham, notwithstanding. Like, I he, I get the impression that he's going to absolutely love playing for <laughs> Chris Beard. But would a guy like Ramey or Andrew love it? Would a guy like Greg Brown love it? Uh, maybe, perhaps, but we'll see. That'd be a tough that'd be a tough bridge to cross when when you are used to something a little bit different.
0: I saw something funny on Twitter. Speaking of. Brock Cunningham, somebody on Twitter spoke out and said, props to Bitter White Guy for saying that if Courtney Ramey were on Texas Tech, he'd be the most hated player in the Big 12. Well, guess what? That basically happened. So congrats on calling that. Th- uh, th- thank you, I guess. <laughs> it feels like we're already getting into the space, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. What are y'all personally think about the hire. We're going to break it into three three separate ways that y'all can break down how you feel. Try to give me some like positive positivity here. Let's, let's not be a complete wet blanket, but still get get out what you feel. What do you think about his style of play? Truly.
1: So I think what we need to do here is have Tim talk and then I come in and shit all over everything. That seems like that's that's the past. So Tim, go ahead.
2: All right, so <laughs> here here are some things that I think I'm I'm genuinely excited about. I'm excited because it, it really appears that Chris Beard cares about being in Texas. That matters to me. His, how much he wants to be in Austin, how much uh, being a Longhorn means to him is pretty obvious, which, you know, Tom Herman wanted that too, but from a standpoint of like, he obviously is going to work really hard to be in Austin. um, And that's something that I value a lot. So that's, I'm I'm excited about that. I'm excited because I feel like of all the candidates that we, that we have seen, Chris Beard maybe has one of the highest floors. I, I still don't quite know about his ceiling, but I do feel like he's got a really high floor again, because he's a good recruiter. He's a good teacher of the game. He understands Texas basketball, both at the collegiate level and at the high school level. He's been around a long time. He does a good job in game of managing X's and O's. Um, He does a good job of like of like building intensity. I think he does a really good job of understanding, like when the pockets of time in the game are that he can say, hey, we need to win these four minutes. And Texas Tech has been very good for the last few years under him uh, at that. I think Texas can probably find some of those same things, which would be nice he yeah he's he's just a guy who i feel like you can probably pretty much you know year in and year out expect that he's going to be able to beat the weaker teams in the conference like he's not going to have some of those stinkers that that we've become somewhat accustomed to under shaka and, and the end there with rick because they just that's not really how tech plays and you know so it's good and you know the other thing i'm excited about is i'm i'm really excited about his staff i really am and I think that they're talking about bringing in some guys, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but Ulrich, is it Maligi? Um, you know, obviously he's very well thought of. He's not someone that I have spent a lot of time, uh, studying other than kind of a little bit about his tactics and stuff like that, as far as on the trail. But, uh, but you know, he's, he's bringing in Chris Ogden, who's someone that I respect a lot and has been around Texas basketball and has a lot of, a lot of connections and I and I happen to respect very much as far as him being a talent evaluator and someone that that will kind of get on the trail and do some really good things there's talk about Rodney Terry coming back which I think would be a positive thing for for this staff um, you know I think that that obviously CDC uh, has has kind of told Beard that from a standpoint of, of what he can expect financially for his assistance is a pretty significant upgrade so for instance when Jay Lucas left Jay was making four hundred thousand dollars a year for an on-court position. He leaves to go to Kentucky for an off-court position, I believe. And maybe I'm mistaken. For an off-court position, m- and makes nine hundred thousand dollars
1: temporarily off-court. Yes,
2: right. Um, but was you know made made over a double for what was initially an off-court position, and and that like that matters. That's that's a big deal. And so, if obviously I think I think Beard is a terrific coach. But your support staff makes a big difference. Your strength and conditioning coach coaches make a big difference. Who you have as far as developmental, how many developmental coaches you have that aren't necessarily like assistant coaches on on the court or whatever, that kind of stuff matters and makes a difference. And and if we are committed to to taking a coach that has some of the chops and the skins on the wall that Chris Beard has, and then also saying, and we're going to spend a lot of money to get you the you know the assistant coaches that you need to give you the kind of player personnel departments that you need, then that's pretty cool. Like that's I mean I, I talked on the website that it's that some of the stuff with this is a paradigm shift, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that later. But that's a paradigm shift that I really really welcome and i think that that obviously if if things go well and beard surrounds himself with the right people who can you know that he can trust and that can you know that can kind of get after him when he's maybe being a little bit too crazy or intense then then maybe you can find that right recipe and and figure out how to how to get everybody on the same page in a, in a positive way and if that's if that's possible and he can recruit like we think he can then man, oh man! I mean, this could be really, really good if he can if he can kind of find that right mix. So, so regardless, again, I, I I do think he's got an incredibly high floor, and I I think that you know I don't I don't think we're gonna miss a lot of NCAA tournaments with him around, and I think that you know a, a sweet sixteen, somewhat on the regular quotation marks kind of wherever you need that to be, whether on the regular is once every three years or once every five years, um, or whatever will be pretty reasonable how much more than that maybe a lot more than that obviously this is a guy who's been in the national title game so that that would be neat i would like i would enjoy that at texas um so so certainly there's there's a lot to look at him and say if things are right great now how likely how can texas's athletic department kind of get get all that kind of moving in that uh, direction in that situation we'll see but but he's you know he's a very good coach and i like i like who he's bringing in with his support staff and and um who he's kind of earmarked as far as his assistants right now we'll see if they all kind of end up in texas or uh, texas or not but but i like what i'm hearing with that too
0: so johnny counterpoint
1: (laughs) i i'm sorry i spent the last three minutes of that filibuster of thinking i should have gone to the bathroom what was the question
0: <laughs> johnny what do you think of chris beard's style of offense what do you think about i guess since tim kind of ran through it all actually let's just i'll give you the floor here what do you think about his style of offense what do you think about you know the coaches that he's bringing in what do you think he will accomplish here is that is that fair, Tim? Did you oh, all
2: that? It's fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I. am just some stretching point,
1: over I, here. Just, just getting limbered up. Gonna, give me a second. At
2: some point, I do want to talk about. I want to talk about the process of of how we came to beard. Uh, sure, as, we'll
0: we'll finish that off. That'll be the yeah. finishing touch.
2: Okay, sounds good. Yep.
0: So, what do I think
1: about what tech is or what Texas is going to have under beard? I I think it's going to be a lot like tech uh i think thus far in his coaching career he has shown a style of play but uh, on both ends of the floor and he is going to ride or die with that uh until such time as the heat gets turned up on him um and it may never he, he might be successful enough that he can do what he's done at tech at texas and it be successful it's entirely possible i i don't think he is a bad coach he is a good coach he has shown himself to be adept in, uh, a handful of ways, uh, as, as a, as a head coach, whether it's recruiting guys, whether it is teaching a defensive style, that sort of thing. Um, there are a lot of questions for me in terms of, uh, how someone can build a, uh, build and sustain a program long-term with the sort of roster churn that he gets because, as his recruiting has improved in terms of getting top 50 type of recruits, his turnover has increased as well. And uh, if you're going to get those top 50 guys and not use them, why are you recruiting them in the first place? Um, So I think he's going to have to uh, answer, you know, not not necessarily to us, but uh, maybe internally, Uh, does he really want to go for those top level recruits? Because it's probably not going to fit with his style very well. Um, he is going to be a defense first guy, a defense to maybe the point of detriment guy. Uh, he is unlikely to ever push the tempo at Texas. That's thus far. All of the data says he's going to walk the ball up the court. He's going to go for turnovers on offense or on defense. And that will be the only transition opportunities you're likely to ever see from them. Um, it's going to be probably kind of ugly a lot of times. Like that's just it, his defense and his offense is predicated on uglying things up uh, for lack of a better term. And I don't think people who watched a half dozen Texas games a year and maybe one or two tech games a year are thoroughly prepared for what they're about to see when they tune in with beard on the sidelines. I, I think you're going to see a lot of, And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, 62 to 57 games. And if you care about wins more than you care about style of play, then fine. You're probably okay with that. Um, If you're someone who watches 30-plus Texas games a year, you're probably in for a bit of a culture shock in terms of what you're going to see on both ends of the floor. Um, Whether he will be ultimately successful at Texas or not.
0: Well, the common criticism... Or, I guess, response to that is, well, was it pretty with Shaka Smart? It wasn't. And that's fair. But the the issue is
1: less, was it pretty with Shaka Smart? But more so, are you paying $5 million to have a different type of ugly? Like, the idea here was you're paying top five coach money. So, if Chris Beard is as ugly as Shaka Smart was... Did you really make a good decision in hiring Chris Beard? Because the theory here is the, the what the the goal here is, I should say, is you went to go make a significant improvement with your program. And if you got somebody who's going to have the same shortcomings but for 60% more a year, what did you do, really accomplish? Now may and again, I I think I think Tim is correct in that there is a higher floor with Chris Beard than there was with Shaka. There absolutely is. Like, I don't think you're ever gonna see an eleven and twenty-two season with Chris Beard, barring some sort of massive calamity,
0: right? I, Especially because he's such a good scouter and in-game adjuster. Yes, correct? all of all of all of the things.
1: Um, I, right. I think Johnny, I'm trying to make
0: you say good things.
1: Yeah. There you go. Um, and and, and <laughs> okay, I will say a good thing. Uh, you have upgraded from maybe the seventh best coach in the Big Twelve to maybe the fourth, fifth, depending on. You know how things plan at, pan out. Um, it's a couple million dollars a year for a couple spots improvement, but it, it might be the difference between being on the bubble and being a reliable six or seven seed. Um, I, I think Tim is right that, that there's a higher floor. I think that um, if he makes it to the end of his seven-year tenure, you're probably going to be in the tournament five or six times. Um, you're probably going to win a... a, 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 a I mean, I'm going to say round to 32 on average. So win a game each tournament, give or take, maybe you make a sweet 16. Maybe you don't sort of depend on matchups and whatnot. Um, I would be pleasantly surprised if he actually wins a big 12 title. Um, I think it's more likely that he's going to be a third through six kind of coach. Um, I don't think he is likely to compete regularly with Kansas and, I mean, at this point Baylor for conference titles. And that begs the question of how much money did you just pay for a guy not to be on the level of Scott Drew and Bill self because he's zero and eight against those two teams over the last two seasons. And you know, if, if you're looking to really be best of the best, if you're hiring, if you're paying top five coaching money, zero and eight against those two is not good enough. So you know, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Is I think I think Tim is right that the floor is higher. I don't think the ceiling is necessary. Like the, he might end up making another run like he did, and I would be put, very happy if he did. But I don't expect it. I just it doesn't seem to me like he's a guy who's going to do that again anytime soon. And again, I hope I'm wrong.
2: Well, I would piggyback back off that. And I know that we talked about maybe finishing up with this. So if I'm if I'm jumping the gun, I apologize, but when we talked about what, when we, when I talked about paradigm shifting money, Johnny hit it on the head there with this idea that like Shaka made, I think, what was it? Like $2.3 million.
1: He was, he, he averaged around three per year over the course of his contract.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it was 3.2 instead of 2.3. Sorry. um, And then like we said with Jay Lucas, like we're talking about very, very different amounts of money. And that, make no mistake, I'm super psyched about that. <laughs> I'm really jazzed about that. I, I think that obviously an opportunity to have a program that spends the money that Texas has puts us in a situation where we can compete financially with anybody, which we all know we can. We all know that we can compete financially with any with any program in the country. You know, you know, obviously, SEC schools make a lot of money from TV contracts. And because they're so good, Big Ten has their own network. That's awesome for them. But no one has more money than Texas. No one has, like, at least no one has appreciably more money than Texas. We're not saying that we have the most, but but certainly we, we can compete with anybody. And it would be nice if our, if our men's basketball salary structures, you know, showcased that. And they really haven't. And with a guy like Shaka Smart, I understand why they have it. I'm not sure that you could you know, could justify paying him five million bucks a year. Certainly not for the product that he put on the floor. But even when he was first brought in, like he he that wasn't the situation for him. That's it's tough to look at a at a guy at a at a mid major or a low mid major conference and say, all right, hey, we're gonna we're gonna pay you crazy money. And so they didn't pay him crazy money, nor that I do I think that he, they should have. But if if you're going to pay Chris Beard five million bucks a year and you're going to say to him, hey, you've got up to a million dollars <laughs> for one of your assistant coaches. And that's I'm ex- again, I'm ex- I'm excited about that. That makes me happy. But if you're just like if if the process becomes Beard and like as soon as he says yes, then then your search is done. I have a big issue with that <laughs> because that suggests that that Beard is irreproachably one of the best coaches in the country and he's he's quite good but I off the top of my head if we're going to talk about that kind of money I could probably list 10 to 15 coaches I that there's really no reason that you don't at least call them and say hey what do you think like that a quick no from them is fine but fucking call them <laughs> call them for that money
0: um, not even to mention that Rick Pitino's out there
2: yeah, absolutely, and and you know like and obviously, uh, you know if if the Calipari stuff is is legit and he asks for nine and a half million, nine and a half million is quite a bit more than five. But like if we're willing to be top five, then we're willing to be top five. Like you know I I think a guy like Calipari immediately immediately brings a great return on his in the, on the investment. You know I just but to not even to not even really like to put ourselves out there with with Coach Cal. Because you're sold on Barnes, I just, or not Barnes, on Beard, <laughs> Freudian slip there, I, I, I guess it's, it's that's a question mark for me. And, you know, I, I know that Mark Few would have said no, but ask him. I know that Brad Stevens would have said no, but like, if we're willing to go that high, then ask him, like, what's going on here? Like, it, it just it just seems like maybe maybe people are watching different tech games over the last five years than what I have um, and obviously great job making to the title game great job with the elite eight but but man i don't I don't see stuff that says this is just like okay we can have everybody we want and we're willing to pay it and we want only him
1: the vibe I have gotten off of this hire is less of a coaching search and more like one of those voting rights restrictions that they signed into law and waited for the voting rights act to get gutted to Kick in like it's like it was just sitting there for four years, waiting for Shaka to leave, and bam, we're going getting beer. Like I, I, I honestly think that if he did not have his buyout get lowered at April first, he would have been announced four or five days earlier. I don't think there was a search. I think there was a coordinated effort at the second the ACU loss happened to go, hey, all of this groundwork we laid, we're in, like. I don't I, I really think the only reason it took as long as it did was to save a couple million on a buyout and to get Shaka another gig over at Marquette. Like I think that's it. I I, I don't think uh, they gave Royal Ivy the most cursory of fucking interviews. It was like 15 20 minutes if reports are to believed, which is not an interview that's like a meet and greet at a speed dating session and, and they didn't did they, they didn't talk to anybody else. Like what the fuck kind of coaching search is that? That is, we are already target locked on our guy years in advance, and we're going to go get him. Results in the intermediate time be damned, and I, that's maddening to me. I I don't I, yep,
2: no. Which is which is fine if you think he's that good. Which if if you if you think he's that good, cool. I'm just not sure he's that good.
1: I don't. Yeah, like that's it's again. And your point about about Calipari is hundred percent correct. Like, if he was in fact as interested as it sounds like he or like he was at least open to discussing it, why you don't take a day to go talk to him and his agent? Like, he approached us. He came to us. Yeah. Like, why are you <laughs> like? Texas is so goddamn lazy with this coaching search. It's not a search. It wasn't a search. There was no search. It was, there's this guy I have been looking through a window at for 900 plus days, and <laughs> our guy is now out, so I'm going to go fucking tackle him. Like, I mean, it's, if you're going to be, like, <sighs> Texas likes to think, we we money is no object. Texas likes to think we go big whenever we want. We can money whip, whatever. If that's true, John Calipari is theoretically sitting there talking to you. And if you're willing to pay five, I guarantee you there's a donor out there willing to fund like four, eight, 12 million dollars of that fucking contract. To, to bring in Calipari and suddenly the one-and-dones just start rolling through campus and the winds that's, start rolling through that's campus. That's Nick Saban. Yeah. That's Nick Saban. Exactly. Yeah, that's... If you were willing to go to the mat for Nick Saban or that sociopath Urban Meyer, why not be willing to go for John Calipari, who his, his biggest sin is basically, I like paying players, which, fucking welcome to college basketball, right? Like, if you're gonna go big, go big. This is like... They just... They just saw some dude who was a GA here like twenty-five years ago and was like, he's one of ours and we gotta have him. And that's, that's not enough. That's not a search. That is we've liked, we've wanted this guy instead of our current guy for four years, and we're gonna go get him. And if you and, and if, if he works out and and brings Texas a national title, then fucking fine. Like great. I I'll I'll eat my words on this. But just there was no process. If you're going to have a process, use a process. There was no process. Like this was we want Beard. And 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 it's that's one of the main things that drives me up a wall about this. It's not that I think Beard is a bad coach. He's not. He's obviously a good coach. It's that there was no introspection, there was no evaluation, there was just we want Beard. And I've been hearing it for 4 years or however long on various boards, insider boards, wherever of we won't be. From me, from you, yes. And it's and they just they didn't they didn't. If you are fed up with your current coach, you should at least ask. And Rick yourself, Barnes,
0: the one before that.
1: Yeah, ask yourself why. Why am I fed up with this coach? What is, What are their shortcomings? What, what he doesn't recruit like? shooters? He doesn't yeah. have a fast offense. I, I don't. Yeah,
0: all the super lazy complaints.
1: Well, like yes, like some of it is some of it is lazy. Yes, like the, the he doesn't recruit shooters. Things is lazy and clearly incorrect, and just it's not worth getting into. Like I, that's lazy. But like saying I don't. This coach has not been but good Johnny, enough. They're offensive.
0: not shooters. They're not. Their scores not. Oh, sh- right. not yeah, shooters. Oh right. Yeah. 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 We. Sorry. Yeah. They. Yeah. The Texas only recruits
1: scores, not shooters. You're right. Um, because you you only shoot later after you've scored or something there there's (laughs) the the if you are going to have a coaching search and say what went wrong like why if you're going to replace somebody this and regardless if this is sports or business or just like marriage if you if you go through and you're like i want a divorce you got to go through and say okay if i'm gonna get married again what went wrong last time and how can i not do that again right? Like that just makes common sense to be like, I'm just not, I'm not going to do the same stupid shit, or I'm not going to expose myself to the same stupid shit. Like I'm kind of hireless prostitutes, whatever it is. Like you got to find something right. That's different. And they did nothing different. They went and hired another dude who prizes defense over offense. Another dude who has a sketchy, sketchy history of offensive ineptitude. And, and they just, but they're like, yeah, fuck it. We'll pay him 60% more. This is great because he's one of ours. Or whatever. I, I don't. It's just it just fucking drives me up a wall. Like I, Chris Beard could very well be super successful at Texas, but there was no process behind hiring him. It was just
0: I think I think I beard. speak for both of y'all where you hope you eat your words.
1: Yeah, I'm I, I would I would be happy if and, and I don't even think Tim has to eat his words because he's been much more measured about this than I have. Like, I'm the one who's going to do, like, the lion's share of the chow if this this is successful. Um, I, you know, I, I hope he's successful. I hope Chris Beard wins a lot of games at Texas. Um, it would make it a lot more uh, pleasant for everybody involved if he wins a lot of games. Because if he doesn't, I'm going to be even less reasonable to deal with than I am now.
0: Wow. That sounds good. <laughs>
1: It's just gonna be it, a month of straight me looking up people's old tweets and just responding to them. Just a month of it.
2: My excitement for for Shaka when he was brought in, and I guess comparably, my my excitement for Royal Ivy was I felt like there was a universe somewhere where those guys came in, figured it out, and maybe had a chance to be. I don't want to say a transcendent coach, but like a coach that is remembered for a lot of really good things. I, I'm not sure I could buy that with Beard. Again, Beard's floor is higher than, than Shaka's kind of unquestionably. Beard's floor is, I suppose, theoretically higher than Royal Ivy. We have no real idea. I'm not sure that we ever will. Um, I don't think Royale will ever coach in the college game unless it's at Texas, and maybe we've missed our chance. I guess I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I, I think stuff.
1: by the next time it's open, Royals probably coaching an NBA team.
2: Yeah. So so it, so the way that the NBA game works, maybe I guess we'll find out in fifteen years, perhaps after getting fired from the Hawks a second time or something like that as their, as their head coach. Maybe perhaps he'll be ready to Texas to come coach to the college game. Isaiah Taylor. <laughs> yeah, but. I yeah, yeah, I I think it, I am I'm am certain he's gonna win. I'm certain that they the Texas will compete. I am certain that they will um, that they will be in the tournament more often, maybe way, way, way more often than not. I am not convinced he has the temperament and the ability as a roster manager. And guy who can, you know, who can really like play with super high level players that it kind of takes to to win at that level. Um, I don't I don't know if he's able to do that, hi buddy. Um, we'll see.
0: So here's the thing about this, though, when it comes to the process. And it's sort of similar to the one that you saw under Steve Sarkeesian. If not the first option, then who? And once you get past the first option, it starts to become a bit of a guessing game. Okay, I get it. They didn't go after Calipari. They didn't go after even take a look at Mark Fuel or, you know, all the super far reaches that are not Calipari.
2: Well, or Stevens or Musselman. Right. Yeah, 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 I get or... that. Yeah, you know, or <laughs> yeah. Nate Oates or anybody. Like, I get that.
0: But in the when you look at Johnny's list that he put out, right? where he was going through all these guys and the, and the reasons that they are likely or not likely. You get to the end of the list, and the list of guys who are potential is like Royal Ivy and not a lot of other guys who are very appetizing, in my opinion. So, you know, I'm looking at this and saying, all right, you know, Royal Ivy. Here's the thing: is it's a big question mark. And if he doesn't work out at Texas, because you have no idea what you're bringing in, you don't know how he recruits. If he doesn't work out at Texas, then you just isolated, you know, one of your biggest alumni. on top of that, you know, the other guys on that list. You're looking at that. One of the big one of the big things you said was like, all right, the buyout's too big. Then then no, because you know, even though you saved seven million with Shaka, you know, you're, you're not probably not going to get. 12 million for oats or mm. however much is is Musselman and then s- and then the money to to get him over here sure no go go ahead and fish, the guy sorry, go and and the guys question. of Calipari's, you know level so the question is in my opinion if not beard then who i get it they didn't do a full search and didn't even check to see oh is Musselman or oats available but it didn't seem like it was, you know, if, if you alienate Chris Beard and say, all right, we're going to go and look elsewhere. And then Chris Beard's like, well, maybe I'll stay at Texas tech. And then you strike out on oats and Musselman, men. You, you screwed up.
1: Yeah. But I don't think that's, I don't think that's particularly reasonable or plausible. I, I think here's it's, it's less that they ended up at beard than, like you said, the fact that they're, they didn't check with anybody else. And these guys are all, you know, when you get to this sort of level of coach, they all get that an a- an AD is going to ask around, is going to, you know, dip their toe in a few, different p- a few different ponds to figure out if there's any interest, right? Like, they go through back channels and whatnot to, to, to make it, you know, plausibly deniable or avoid FOA requests or whatever. But, like, the, the, you know, it is incumbent upon the CEO of a nine-figure revenue organization to have multiple options and kick the tires on multiple possible coaches and it does not appear that they did that like it's if if they go and say okay you know we talking a beard. We asked if Muscleman's interested. Asked if Vote's interested. Asked if you know whoever. Right, like name three or four others. Like just to put out feeler. Putting out feelers is not going to run any coach off when five million dollars a year is at play, right? Like that's just beard is not going to go. Oh, you talk to someone else. I'm I'm now. I gotta go. Like I just it's not going to happen, right? Like so why not ask? There's no, there's, there's no downside, like he's not gonna, if he is again, as much as they like to play it up, a Texas guy, he's not going to get offended and turn up his nose at Texas because they happen to do due diligence. I mean, that's just, at the end of the day, this is basic corporate hiring for executive level positions. So I, I don't, I don't think that's an issue. I don't think there's much risk. It's saying, okay, let's, let's see if a couple other people are interested while we're discussing with, you know, candidate A, who is our first choice.
0: All right. Let's go ahead and change the subject here and get to our favorite game, our new favorite game. Pretend we're fantasy football draft. Uh, I know probably everybody's here to listen to us complain about Chris Beard and, and get angry about it, but uh, let's go ahead and talk about something else that gets us pretty dang angry or frustrated or annoyed. The, today we will be drafting our top three available most annoying or frustrating plays in all the sports. So going off of who lost last time, who was that? I believe that was Tim. Tim, you were the the, the grand loser. Uh, Johnny, you were in second place. And and myself, uh, 2-0-0-0. Uh, so far, so you yeah, know, that's your, pretty cool. Got your
1: Reddit army destroying us, all, destroying us all.
0: No, they all hate me, so I don't. I don't know how I'm winning this.
2: So. I'm, I'm will bots all over the place. I'm still
1: convinced that if we did this on MySpace, Tim or I would win every time.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Totally. Because uh, Half Life isn't a better game than uh, what was it again? The ones you, that you said that uh...
2: Diddy Kong Racing.
0: Oh yeah, that one or. Uh... I don't even remember. Privateer?
1: Yeah, you do remember, clearly. Anyways. It was that amazing that you uh, went Tim, out and
0: looked it up and we're like, I'm like 12 hours in now. Tim, what is the most annoying play in any game or sport ever? Like, not, not, and when we're talking about play, we're talking about, like, abstract play. So it happens over and over and over again.
2: Yeah, well, this is probably going to cement me losing for a third time, and that's okay. Uh, my, my particular biggest annoyance is what we call let-cord-winner, uh, which in tennis would be when someone that you're playing hits the ball, and when they hit it, it hits the net and then kind of pops up and then just barely falls over on your side of the court so they have kind of done it wrong or you have played a really good point and like put them in a tough situation but they win anyways uh i don't know that i can accurately describe all of the swear words and all of the anger that i want to shout at like the parents watch- watching on the side of the court when someone hits a let court winner against me um it's so infuriating and so maddening and so i mean it's, they don't they don't deserve it they didn't earn it. I earned it. I earned that winner and they got it anyways, and it's uh it's just really it's really too much when someone does that. So for me, uh a let chord winner is is my number one.
0: I just realized how hard this is gonna be for me to fit into one tweet. So this'll <laughs> be fun. <laughs> yeah.
1: Let let court winner, I guess. That's let probably be. yeah, you're gonna yeah, you're gonna have to you LCW. There you go. Um, All right, so my first one and I I feel like this is almost cheating given that this is the uh, actually I'm not going to use that one because I I have three others that again will probably make sure I do no better than second but um, my first pick is the bulk in baseball. The bulk. The
0: balk. Can you describe what a balk is?
1: No, that's the fucking problem. Like, <laughs> I I have been on this earth over 40 years, and I still cannot tell you what constitutes an actual balk. I know theoretically what it is, but what it actually ends up getting called? I don't know. All I know is that there's a pitcher who's standing on the mound, and suddenly the ump. Even though the pitcher didn't do anything, the up goes, "Yep, first base," or whatever. Like so he goes the next to the next base, and I don't, I don't get it. I don't fucking get it.
0: That Fuck reminds the me of that's like the more annoying version of when they're in hockey and they do the face off, and they're like, "Oh, this guy, you know, yeah, this guy has to go out. off." You're like, yeah. I, "I've I seen it. I, I kind, I still don't understand. I mean, I understand, but I don't understand why, you know, what." Because sometimes they're just like standing there and like yeah. nobody moves. Yeah. But they, they're also like, oh no, this guy, this guy needs to go off.
1: Yeah. It's like the it's like the pitcher almost sneezed and he went, nope, that's yep, that's a balk. So yeah.
2: Noted baseball enthusiast Johnny Brashear. Yep. <laughs> this this is
1: one of the primary reasons I don't watch much baseball is because of like I see a balk and I'm like I don't how the fuck is I don't get it. So that's my pick. Yeah.
0: Uh, all right. Well then. No, I'll you go, don't. I will go next and uh on the hockey train the shorthanded goal it is the most annoying play in ho- in in all sports because your team it's it's like it's like the reversal of any momentum that your team may have had at all so you have the all the momentum your te- you're feeling good about your team and i guess this is for hockey fans cuz i'm watching tim and he's like you just screwed up but you have all the momentum on your side of the flow of stuff. I guess you can't say ball, but as soon as you, there's just one mess up, and all of a sudden it's it's a two point swing in the other team's favor. It is the most deflating thing in hockey in any sport.
2: I scored against Mandan, which is a which is. <laughs> Which is a team, a town right outside of Bismarck, North Dakota. So there you go, everybody. Little, again, back. Uh, It was a three on five. A three on five. And we (laughs) scored.
0: It was incredible.
2: It's so exciting. It is
0: the best thing. It is the best thing if your team's the one that scores the the shorthanded goal, which is why on the exact opposite thing, it is the worst.
2: Well, okay. So I feel like we need this is so, listeners, we need to be thoughtful about this because. A sure goal happens, what, like every 50 games? Every 25 games? You know? Sure. I mean, how annoying can that be if it never happens? All I know is that Mandan was the name of the app where Tim and I met
1: in the first place.
2: <laughs> I'm just going to say their hockey arena was not nice. Not nice. All right. We'll, All right, Will, well, you it. got
0: another pick. I do, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out what's – I hate more, and it's a basketball podcast, so I'll go ahead and do it. Fouling on a three-point attempt, fuck you! Fouling on a three-point attempt is probably the most annoying thing because it's not like you're gonna fucking block it. There's no fucking way you're blocking that unless you have unless you're Greg Brown or Kai Jones and you're block and you're you're. You're going up against that guy who was what five seven, five six on ACU, and trying to take a three on you. Like that's the only time you're ever gonna block a three. Otherwise, you're just putting your hands up to maybe mess with him mentally. Other than that, it's a stupid shit. And if you foul on it, it's the worst. And Texas did that so many goddamn times this year. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I'm winning this one.
1: John, I mean, it's a, it's a it's a good pick. It is a good pick. My my second pick. Is, I'm angry
0: just thinking about this. I'm I'm winning this. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> my my second pick is the false start in the hundred meter dash.
0: Oh, I thought you were going to say just a false start. And I was like, yeah, I was gonna agree with you, but no the false it's, start in the hundred meter dash. Okay, yes, we're going we're going a because, little bit off the beaten track here. Yeah,
1: no, don't worry. It gets worse. Um <laughs> there there are other picks if Tim if Tim or you picks the, the other one I got. I got I got some got some obscure ones. The 100-meter the, the dash is a 10-second race, sometimes less. And there is so much buildup. There's, like, 15 minutes of them coming out. Like, they got the introductions, and they're doing the stretches, and they get in this thing, and then and then they, have the, and they, they get in the blocks, and you're like, fuck yeah, I'm ready. And then they go, and you hear, bang, bang. And then they all just sort of stop after about 20 yards, and they walk back, and they kind of do the thing. And it's just so frustrating because you're like, I was about to see dudes hit thirty miles an hour on 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 a track, and now I got Now we got to do this all over again. Like this, is all that they got to do their stretches again. They got to pray and they got to do their thing, and it's just like it's just so goddamn long. It's so for it's twenty minutes of waiting for nine and a half seconds of work. Just like my fiance, it's a lot of it's a lot of time
0: for for not a lot of time. I feel like that would have been a better pick on an Olympic year, like where the Olympics actually happen. I mean, technically, isn't it supposed to
1: happen in Tokyo this year?
0: Is it? Yeah, they didn't have it last year, so theoretically it's happening this um, year.
2: I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: So fuck you, Will. I picked it during the Olympic
0: <laughs> year.
2: <laughs> All right. My my second one I think is going to be pass interference. Just because... It's a good pick. I think that... Uh, Here's the thing with pass interference. I don't know that I've almost ever seen a pass interference call that wasn't pass interference. Like they seemingly always are. They really always are. And you're like, God damn it. And yet at the same time, I have seen lots of examples of like it not getting called. So, so it seems to be something that is is both obvious and also like not always, not always officiated upon. Uh, and it just, it's, you know, it's, it's 15 yards in the collegiate game. Mm. And I think in the NFL, it's like, it's like the spot of the foul, right? So it could be like a 50 yard foul or whatever, if that's what it would end up being. So it just, it just, you know, it just can be a momentum killer or a momentum giver. And, you know, you might play three, three good downs of defense. And then on, on fourth and 17, you know, they get a pass interference call, automatic first down, blah, blah, blah. It's 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 just
0: the most, it's, it's incredibly annoying, which I agree with you, Tim.
2: Yeah, so pass interference, I would say my second. So I think my then my last one is, and this is it's, gonna be
0: It's real fact. It's the charge of football.
2: Yeah, and I'm not gonna choose charge block, even though I, I certainly should. That that would probably cement it for me. I think, but I'm not gonna choose can, that. Can we that all may...
1: agree not to pick charge block because that's I'm sure it's on all of our lists, and we all <laughs> yeah. went ah no.
2: <laughs> the Low hanging fruit yeah. there, so I'm gonna go. I'm going to go and you feel free to tell me that I can't choose this because maybe I'm maybe I'm not in the in the spirit of the game. Any call that results in a five minute uh, review at the end of a game. Like, I don't care what the call is. It makes absolutely no difference. But whatever the call is, something at the end of the game that makes the the referees or officials say, well, we're going to go under further review. And then you spend like what was it, the Iowa Wisconsin game in the Big Ten tournament that like the last minute and a half took twenty seven minutes to play? Or something like that. Like it just I I've never in my life thought so much about such trivial things as like, did it hit that person's finger or that person's finger? We gotta get it right. You know, and it's just like just just play. <laughs> like, what's going on? I just it's so annoying to to just want to watch the game to be in the middle of the game like to be in that atmosphere of like all right we're it's so so intense and now wait six minutes for the next 13 seconds to go on or whatever so i i if it's okay with you guys i'm going to choose any call that results in some type of long review i
1: i agree that it is incredibly annoying but also don't think that should count as a choice
0: yeah Yeah, i'm up in the air It, it is very annoying i i have a rule that I want to instantiate in <laughs> college football, which is that... Shot after clock th- on the review? Yeah, after like two or three minutes on the review, if they can't come to an agreement on what it is, then the the ruling stands. Like, if it takes that long to figure out oh whether or not it's, it's right or wrong, then it, it should be whatever it was called.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. all right. Well, you're gonna have to be the tiebreaker on here as to whether or not that, that choice is allowed.
0: Tim, try and let's go with another one here. Sorry.
2: Okay, all right. Uh block charge. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> no, I will I will think of a different one. Um so all right. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Thousand Soccer. Uh it feels like there's a lot of like basically like there's what, like two there's kinda like two rules in soccer, offsides and hand. Like, th- like that's that's essentially it. Uh otherwise it's like what does or doesn't get called as a foul, like, oh he kicked him in the shin. No, he didn't. That person pretended to be kicked in the shin. Uh there there's a lot of that that like I, I actually really am into soccer. When I was living in Texas as a young person, soccer was actually more so than than American football. Uh the big sport that was kind of around me. We lived in Austin and San Antonio, and in, in the inner city, and there was this, there were a ton of soccer players, and so I, I grew up playing quite a bit, so I I enjoy watching soccer, but uh, uh, yeah, it just it, it's it's something that as as a as a fan of the game and as someone who kind of really digs watching like United States men's soccer and like tries to get into soccer in the highest leagues, like the the nature of like people taking dives and getting kicked or whatever, it's just it's just like come on, come on, get over yourselves or. or or figure out like like <laughs> how to make this work without without taking an obvious dive or or hey referees put yourself in a situation where like you can't fall for this the dumbest shit so so it, is it say.
0: is it more that ye, it's the uh, flailing in soccer
2: just all of it all of it whether it's like referees not being able to actually call it correctly what's, whether what's it's foul, guys diving
0: what's the foul in hockey that they instantiated that they started it was uh well there's a flopping thing. Yeah. Is flopping, okay. flopping in soccer. I get that. Okay. Yeah.
2: yeah. Johnny.
0: So, yeah.
1: All right. So my last one is one that, um, I feel like Tim will personally enjoy. I know I have done it and I have watched it and it is deflating every time that it happens. And it is the overhead smash that goes into the net. Watching someone, especially at high levels of tennis, which I did not attain, get to a point where they are in front of the net and they have their opponent way off on one side of the court, and all they, they just got a whole court of wide open space, and they are keying up on that that overhead slam, and they smack it right into the net, and it is the most deflating, demoralizing thing. That you can do on a tennis court, outside of like maybe double faulting for match point, that's pretty deflating. But watching someone, especially someone like you know Joker or Fed, do that, it's just like oh oh oh, it's just <laughs> you just See, gave it away.
0: I thought you're gonna say, sociopath
2: in me comes out and says like I actually I love that. To see like the best players in the world fall for the same crap that a that a crappy player like me would fall for. Oh. Like, you're human. It's like watching the golfers like duff it into the lake or whatever like that or shank it fifteen yards to the right or whatever. So I feel like
0: I thought you were gonna say, um when there's a miss slam dunk. Like when it goes off the back of the rim or something.
1: I that's that's but,
0: more hilarious than it
1: is deflating. Like that's just watching somebody go up and like absolutely try and hammer a slam dunk and it ends up at midcourt is just amazing. Like I don't, when it's I, your, when not one it's your team. No, even then it's like you, if, if it goes far enough, I find it incredible. Like it, Okay. if they just sort of brick it and somebody picks it up three feet from the basket, it sucks. But like, if they really hammer it, like John Morant, if he ever misses a dunk, that dunk is going three quarters of the court the other way. Like, and that's awesome in its own spectacular way. Okay. And also, I've never dunked, so I can't say I've done that. <laughs> so...
2: It always goes back to Johnny wanting to dunk. That's that's what it always comes back to. Yeah, yeah. At some point,
1: I'm going to get rich enough to get somebody else's calf muscles, and then I'm just going to uh, start
0: throttling rims. So... I have a lot open to me.
2: Every other play in sports that we haven't mentioned, yeah, yeah. you've got a lot open yeah, to Yeah, I got a lot open to me.
0: I, I can go with, you know, an offensive holding away from the ball. That's incredibly annoying. Unnecessary roughness after the play. Always always annoying as hell when a relief pitcher comes in, uh gives up the home run. That's annoying. But Johnny, you brought up a good point just now. You know, can we mark that just It's about
2: time, yeah. Jesus. Mark. mark
0: that for future reference. Personal experience, right? You know, you've hit your you've hit a ball, an overhead slam into the net. I can I can see it. So have you, Tim. <laughs> so I don't know if y'all play golf, but one of the most annoying things is when you go to do a a pitch onto the green. So you take out like a like a fifty six degree, and you top it, and it just goes flying over <laughs> seventy
2: five yards yes, over the green. <laughs> over the green,
0: it is. It is honestly the most infuriating thing because one thing, that I, one one reason I could never like go pro in golf or even go and play in college or in high school was
2: talent or or no
0: the the mustache, the mustache, um, but really.
2: Not enough khakis.
0: Yeah, it, it was. I can never do. I can never mentally do a sport where there's nobody else to blame. There, there's no equipment. There, you know, you really can't blame your equipment. You can't blame, like, oh, you know, this guy wasn't over here. It's literally all on you. So whenever I get angry, I couldn't be like, well, there's another, you know, there's another reason for it. It was all on me. So topping a pitch, topping a chip is. And sending it 75 yards over the green.
2: I totally should have picked hitting a really good drive and not finding the ball. <gasps> oh, that would have been a really good one. <laughs> that sucks <Damn>. so hard. <laughs>
0: oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, I chose the wrong golf frustration. Of all the golf frustrations.
2: <laughs> there is, there is, yeah, there is something maybe, maybe so getting, deflating. Getting
0: yourself in position for like an eagle. Or a birdie and coming out with a double bogey. <laughs> that's
2: that's fine. Like that's, I mean, that's that's on me. Like it's not even annoying. That's just like a reminder of how bad I am. But man, feel like you hit a really good drive and then like not knowing where the ball ended up going. Boy, that's just, that's that's gonna ruin your round, no matter how good the round is.
0: Johnny, what's your worst? What's your least favorite part of, of the golf experience?
1: Uh, swinging at the ball and not hitting it. The seventy-five dollars. <laughs> it's. I've I've only played at like, top golf and miniature golf places. So my my experience is, uh, whiffing on the ball in front of ten of my friends. Like that's that's a pretty bad experience. But it, after a while, they get used to it because it happens a lot. So. All right. Um, Not getting it into the clown's mouth. Maybe. <laughs>
0: I like that. Uh, all right. Well, we have our three teams. Tim, since you lost, you wanna go, you'll want to you go first. Who's your team?
2: All right. So my team is let cord winners in tennis, pass interference calls, and then just, I don't know, I guess penalties flopping, or flopping, yeah, flopping soccer. in soccer. Yeah.
1: Johnny? All right. Mine is the bulk, false starts in the 100-meter dash. And overhead smashes into the net.
0: All right. And mine is. Going to Donut Land and them not yeah. having chocolate glaze. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> giving up a shorthanded goal, fouling a three point shot, and topping a golf shot. So, vote. It'll be on Twitter. Uh, pretend we're FB on Twitter to vote for who you think. Is the most the team of most frustrating sports plays out there, but for now, thank y'all for pretending we were football for the past hour and a half. I've been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at w i l l b a i z e r, and my man Johnny Bashir. Where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at bitterwhiteguy. Uh, I'm also on Substack at
1: bitterwhiteguy.substack.com, where I yell about Chris Beard some more. That that just
0: posted recently, so you can look at that. Yep. And Tim Preston, where
2: can we find you? Yeah, on Twitter at InsideTexasHoop, no S, and on InsideTexas.com. Uh, awesome, awesome, awesome community. Lots of great basketball information. Uh, We'd love to have you join us.
0: You guys can find other shows like this on the Hornscast channel. That's the Hornscast channel on any podcasting platform out there. It is important that you subscribe to get Pretender Football. Uh, are Football. That's something you have to do. On that note,
2: rate and review us
0: five stars. Yeah, Give us those five stars. Please, please, please do. On that note, thank you all for listening. We will see you all next time when the rosters are completed and we know who's going to be there for Texas. Hook them. Hook them.